All right, if you can, turn to Isaiah 60 and 61. Isaiah 60 and 61. I'm going to try not to recap too much today. But Isaiah 61 says this, Arise and shine, for your light has come. Past tense. You know, the light of the Lord has already risen upon you. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you, for see, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. For nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that this is your voice in print. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that it's sharp. I thank you that it changes us. God, I just, uh, and Lord, as we dig into this word today, Holy Ghost, I ask that you would touch each and every single one of us in a special way, that you would change us, that your word would take root and bear fruit in us. It would correct us, it would comfort, it would guide us so that we can be and look more like you. And as Paul says, that with unveiled faces, we would reflect your glory. We would reflect your nature because we've seen another aspect of who you are. Father, I just pray for everybody that is going through a season that feels dark, a season that feels oppressed, a season where they feel perhaps like in a storm. They feel they've been turned around. They're disorientated. Lord, they feel they've just come under some attack or oppressed or depressed. God, today I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit and the reading of your word that lives would be set free. And God, I ask that we would, each one of us would learn that what is it that we can take from the dark seasons of life and hand them as a gift to a people that don't know how to go through them. In Jesus' mighty, awesome name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Arise and shine. For your light has come. See, darkness or thick darkness covers the people. Isaiah 61 says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives, to release from darkness. Everyone say, release from darkness. Isn't that a wonderful thing to be anointed to do? To release people from darkness. The Spirit of God The Holy Spirit has anointed His church to release people from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes and oil instead of an oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Verse 7, instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion and instead of grace, they will rejoice in their inheritance. Five times here in this passage is is the word instead. And this is the divine exchange that happened on the cross. When, When Jesus said, it is finished. He was saying this. It's the divine exchange went, took us from, from, from sadness to gladness, from despair to praise, from joy to mourning, 
sorry, from mourning to joy, and from our, for our shame, we get a double portion, and for our disgrace, we get everlasting joy. Isn't that a great divine exchange? That's the power of the gospel. That's what happened at the cross. Instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of, instead of. We live in a world that is very dark. And as Isaiah 60 says, there's actually layers and thickness, different, different thicknesses of darkness. But the Lord shines upon you. First, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, You have been brought out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. You know, light always overcomes darkness. And it's so important that even though we go through darkness, His light shines upon us because we were taken out of one kingdom and transported into another kingdom. And it's a marvelous kingdom and it's a kingdom of light. And it's that kingdom that in that kingdom is made up of the ecclesia, which means church. I believe the church should be the happiest people on the planet. We shouldn't be joy impaired. We should enjoy life to the full. We've been taken out of darkness into the marvelous kingdom of light. It's a marvelous kingdom. It's a kingdom where we get to enjoy the king. It's the king's kingdom. It's the king's domain. And it's so bright that when we turn towards the kingdom of darkness, the, the darkness should be attracted to the light because of our joy, because of our freedom. Romans says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. <sighs> Tough crowd today. I'm just going to just preach myself happy. Whew. Hallelujah. So that's what we've been... And then if we, where we went last week is we, we went right inside one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and his name is David. And the Holy Spirit has recorded for us a private prayer that happened in Psalm 142. If you can turn there, we're going to read it again. Psalm 142. Psalm 142. This is a prayer of David that comes from his own heart in what I believe is one of his darkest hours. Fifteen years ago, beforehand, he'd been made king. And here he finds himself having been driven away from his family, driven away from his place of worship, driven away from his inheritance. And here he is in a dark cave, the cave of Adullam, with 400 disgruntled men. And the Holy Spirit has recorded this prayer. And I believe there's keys in it that we can learn from. And remember, David was under the old covenant. We now live in a new and a better covenant. And here's this prayer. He says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before Him. And I tell Him all my troubles. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is You who knows my way. 
in the path where I walk. Men have hidden a snare for me. Look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I, I find this, it like this, this prayer is, is so poetic because it almost seems like at times David is blaming God. And then it's all, woe is me. And then it's, but you, God, are alone, are amazing. You are my refuge and my fortress. Thank you, Lord. You're but God, no one cares for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Hands up if you've ever felt like that. Four people. That's amazing. I cry to you, O Lord. I say you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise you. You ever felt like you've been in a prison? I think it was a couple of weeks ago we looked at um, Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas were locked in an inner cell and they began to praise and worship the Lord and it was praise and worship that was the key to breaking out of a prison, an inner cell. And I, I just wanted to leave you with that key and remind you again today, if you weren't here two weeks ago, that praise is a key to escaping darkness. If you're going through a tough time, if you're going through a place of darkness, praise and worship and thanksgiving is a key to getting out. And as they began to praise and worship at midnight, there was such the ground shook and the doors of the prison came loose and they got out. But not only did they get out, but all the other prisoners around them were also set free. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to set other people free. So when we worship, it doesn't only just set us free, it sets other people free. And when you're in a place of woe is me, no one cares for my life, I'm just, things are getting worse. And this is, what, this is this, what happens in this psalm. David just continues to say how much it's getting worse. But praise is the key. Amen? Why? For the display of his splendor. We'll get there in a minute. Okay. For they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. Because of your goodness to me. Oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. And in your faithfulness and in your righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment for no one living is righteous before you. What, listen to this, verse 3. For the enemy pursues me he crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness. There it is again. He makes me dwell in darkness. This is David's prayer. This is David's pain. This is David's anguish. Like those long dead, my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember. Here we go. We go up again now. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Can you see he's coming up again? <laughs> but Lord, I remember. Oh God, you're so good to me. I remember and I'm considering what you have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I, will go, or I will be like those who go down into the pit. Let your mourning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. <laughs> Lord, I put my trust in you. Remember that. 
Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord. Watch this. For I hide myself in you. For I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will for you, my God. May your good spirit lead me on level grounds. For your namesake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. And in your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes. For I am your servant. I love the great description that Stephen Thomas gave us during communion today. How he lays a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Wonderful picture. That even when we're having a rough time, God prepares something for us. Isn't it good that we're under a new and a better covenant than David was? Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. It's a marvelous kingdom of light. Today I want to just uh, fast forward into another aspect, and we've just read some of this, from this hour of David's life. If you were here last week, there was three points. that, And the first was darkness covers the whole land. When Jesus was on the cross... Darkness covers the whole land. And I'll just say this just by way of recap. When you're going through a season of darkness, it covers every area of your life. It covers your thinking. It covers your, your, your fun times. It covers your relationships. It covers your finance, your job. Um, I think it even covers your golf. Have you got any golfers here? It, <laughs> it covers the things that you think, well, that's my relief, and yet somehow darkness covers every area of your life. The second thing that we looked at is that darkness makes you shout louder. Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And number three, the darkness will cause you to ask why. And Hebrews chapter 5, we looked at it together how through what Jesus suffered, he became the source of life. Everyone say source. And how we looked at how God is more, is, is more interested in developing us than delivering us. And so often we cry, God, take me out. And he says, no, I'm leaving you in because the picture of your life has already been taken. But like a negative, the old way they used to develop pictures, it's got to stay in a dark room. The picture's already been taken, but it needs to be developed properly. And God is interested in developing the picture. Amen? Okay. So today... I, uh, I want to just talk about a couple of things. And there's a part in here that I think is a key that we can glean from how to live through the dark times of life. And it's this, that David turned to God. Say that with me. David turned to God. David turned to God. In times when we're going through dark times, we can turn to God or we can turn back, we can turn bitter, we can turn away, or we can turn to God. I've said this before, but I learned this actually just going through a season probably a year or so ago. Uh, my health was, I was under attack, and 
the Lord said this to me through, through a book that I was reading, that there are times in your life where God will blind the eyes and close the ears of those closest to you to cause you to turn to the only person that can help you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes when we're going through dark times, God is wanting us to turn to him. And it's in times like that when we feel like we're backsliding, we feel like there's something wrong with me, God says, will you turn to me? Will you listen to me? And that's what David did. He could have turned back. He could have turned away. He could have turned bitter. He could have turned angry, but he didn't. He turned to God. He found his center. Everyone say center. It's into, I love this. I, you know, so often in the mornings when I get up and to spend time with the Lord, I, I'll actually say to myself, Dan, where are you? When God speaks to me, he often speaks to me, in fact, most of the time in question. He asks me questions. God says to Adam, Adam, where are you? God wasn't playing hide and seek. He knew where Adam was. The question was, Adam, do you know where you are? He was saying, Adam, do you know where you are? Where is your center? Where are you with me? Are you turning to other things or are you turning to me? Where are you? Where are you? Find your center. If you go to a mall, you go to a, a shopping precinct somewhere, if you look to the directory, there'll be a sticker and it says, you are here. It doesn't matter where you're going. If you don't know where you are, you won't find it. We must know where we are. And that's what God was saying to Adam. Adam, where are you? And I want to encourage you, church, find your center. Find, make sure that you're centered with God, that you've turned to Him, not to other things, because it's easy to turn to other things when you need, because our bodies need, our soulish realm needs, our spirit man needs. We're triune beings. We serve a triune God. But oh, let all of us, bless the Lord, all my soul, David says. But our, our mind, our emotions on our world, let everything that is within us turn it to God. Not just to look to other things, counterfeit affections, to, to fill a void which is always temporary while God is still there saying, son, daughter, just turn to me and I will meet you right where you are at. See, when, when Adam turned away, it says, God says, they heard the sound of God walking in the cool of the day and they hid. When, we're not, when we lose our center, the first thing we do is we hide. The second thing we do is we cover up. And the third thing we do is we blame others. And that's what Adam did. He hid, he covered himself up, and then he blamed somebody else. So when God says, where, where it found him, he says, well, we were afraid, we, were, we, were, we, we hid because we were naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? So they covered themselves because they would expose themselves. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's really important that we go to God that we don't run from God. Because when we run from God, we hide, we cover up our shame, and then we blame others. It's this woman you gave me, God. How could it possibly be my fault? But church, if we'll turn to God and say, God, I'm coming to you. I'm in a dark hour. See, we're under a new and better covenant, but we still go through dark times. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We've got to go through. Don't camp out in the middle. Don't camp in the hallway. Do you remember the hallways message? Don't, don't camp out in the hallway. We're not, hallways are not made for us to inhabit. They're just places of transition. 
But when we, when we lose sight of where we're going, we start to camp out in something that God never called us to inhabit in. We've got to keep on going. Okay, so David, he didn't turn back, he didn't turn angry, and he didn't turn away. In Hebrews, I was reading this this morning, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, it is through faith and patience that we receive the promises of God. Everyone say faith and patience. Patience, patience. I think sometimes in, our, in the Western world, the church perhaps struggles with really waiting on God and learning patience. We used to teach our children that patience is quiet waiting. Those of you who remember our kids when they were small, we'd put, them, put their hands together because then they can't pick up stuff and do stuff, so they'd sit with their hands together and we'd say, look at my eyes, and they'd look at our eyes. Now they're focused and say, well, I want you to be patient. You can, see what's, you can see their little brains going, what's patience? Patience is quiet waiting. So now they can't move their hands, they're looking at you, and, it's, and they have to be quiet. This is great. <laughs> but patience is quiet waiting. And I think sometimes as the church, we can learn something and be reminded about patience. It's through faith and patience that we receive the promises of God. But so often, we want our promise now. But God is more interested in developing us than delivering us. He's more interested in perfecting us than pampering us. So I'm like, God, I just, I, I'm, you're my you're a heavenly father and you love us, absolutely true. But there's also a process of discipline because God is absolutely committed to Christ being fully formed in us. Why? For the display of his splendor so that the world will know what he is like. And we're called to be a people of tremendous influence. Because if we have been taken from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and brought into the marvelous kingdom of light of the son he loves, then it's a, it's a kingdom that comes under his rulership. Under his lordship. There was rules in this kingdom, and there's rules in this one. The rules in this kingdom bring freedom and liberty. And when we live by them, we live the most amazing life. See, Jesus came that we may have life and have it in abundance. Jesus came that we may enjoy life. Someone said the other day, this week, they said, well, I just feel like I just enjoy life. I said, well, don't enjoy life. We came, he came that we may enjoy life, not endure it. But when, we, when we're patient, we go, we learn, we can see God is actually doing something in my life right now. And I'm going to learn some lessons for it, from it because I'm going to be changed a little bit more into the likeness of his son. See, patience is like a bridge that carries us over troubled waters. And, different, and bridges come in different lengths. <laughs> some of you have gone through really tough times. Some of you have felt like bridges that just go on and on and on and on. You've lost sight of land. Can I encourage you? Stay patient because it's through faith and patience. Faith is the substance of things hopeful and the evidence of things not yet seen. It's, the, it's faith and patience. It's faith and patience. I'm going to see it, but I'm also going to allow you, God, to work something in my life because you are committed to seeing me come to perfection. 
I was thinking about this, this, week, this week, that the Spirit and the Bride will say, come Lord Jesus. I was thinking about that. You ever just think about Scripture and just meditate on it and think about it? I do. The Spirit and the Bride, a time will come where the Spirit of God and the church together in one voice will say, come Lord Jesus. Wow. That it will echo across this earth that the church will be so radiant she would have made herself ready. See, sometimes I think, God, just make us ready. No, the bride has made herself ready without spot or blemish. Without a bride, without spot or wrinkle. You know, one, one, one definition of that is the spot is more like, is more like a zit <laughs> or wrinkle. So she won't be an, an adolescence, but she also won't be old and wrinkly. She'll be absolutely beautiful. The bride has made herself ready. Beautiful picture. That's us, the church. We're all getting older. But outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our spirit man, if we'll allow God to work on us, is becoming more and more and more and more beautiful. That's why we need to know each other after the spirit and not after the flesh. Because it's our spirit that's going to go to heaven. It's our spirit man that's being perfected. We need to care for our bodies. We need to care for our souls. Our body we need to care for because Paul says it's like a tent. <laughs> you know, there's men, in, men and women throughout history whose bodies, Charles Finney's body literally fell apart because of all the traveling he did. Literally just fell apart. We've got to look after our bodies, but it's a temple. It's a, it's a tent. We have to look after our soul, our, our mind, our emotions and our will. John says, I, bu- I, I pray above all things that you would get along well and, that as, and even as your soul prospers, that we would prosper. Soul prosperity is really important. I'm going to keep going. <laughs> but the Spirit and the Bride will say, Come, Lord Jesus. That's why, you know, fees, people laugh at fees. It seems like uh, all over the world in, in a good way. Because... Um, <laughs> Fee will always ask, fee will, most of the time in any counseling situation, whether they be pastors or teachers or, um, or people in the church or young children, um, older people, people from every nation and generation should say, did you pray in tongues? Do you pray in tongues? Pray in tongues. Speak in tongues. When you're on the toilet, speak in tongues. Am I getting too real for you now? But it's a wonderful thing. Pray in the Spirit. Build yourself up. In the most holy faith, by praying in the Spirit, Jude says, Jude 20. Pray in the Spirit. When my mind is unfruitful, my spirit prays. And then I pray with understanding. So our sp- Paul says it like this. He says, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Our spirit man should be bigger than our brain. It's not that we shouldn't use our brain. It's just that our spirit man should be bigger. And if you think a lot, if you're a contemplator, you can, it, can be, it can be your biggest hindrance. Oh, it doesn't make sense to me, doesn't it? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed. What? By faith, we understand that the universe was formed. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand. By faith, we understand. But I don't understand. That's because you have to understand by faith. First of all, we have to believe that he exists and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
It's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Can you see? It's our spirit man. We know no one after the flesh, but after the spirit. You ever met with somebody in a supermarket or in a meeting or they came to your house and you just knew that they were born again? Why? Because deep was calling to deep. There was just something inside of me like, man, you're my brother, you're my sister. There's, some, there's a connection here and it's the person's spirit that is born again with the spirit of God. And it's spirit to spirit. And it's the church in worshipping in spirit and in truth that will say, come Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. So patience is like a bridge that will carry us through and over troubled waters. And they come in different lengths. And the devil wants to blow up your bridge. (laughs) He is committed to blowing up your bridge. Bridge is, patience is like a bridge that carries us over troubled waters. The devil is committed to blowing up our bridge because he doesn't want us to be patient because if he can attack our faith and he can attack our patience, then he can blow up our bridge. You know, the devil is not after your car. He's not after your house. He's not after your money. He's after your faith. He wants to blow up your bridge. He will do anything to stop you fulfilling your destiny. I'm going to wrap up in just a moment. I'm just going to give, last week I talked about three different people. I talked about Joseph. I talked about Moses and someone else I can't remember, two weeks ago. It was great. I just can't remember who it was. Anyway, today I want to talk about three people. You ready? First is the prodigal son. And all these people needed restoration. You know, God is a God of restoration. He restores my soul. Re means to do it again. To revive, revival. Someone said to my parents recently, oh, I believe revival is going to come to the third world nation that you're in. And I remember my father saying, nope. <laughs> that, there will not be a revival here because there can't be a revival here because there's never been a revival before. And to revive something means to revive. To revive something that had already happened. And there's never been a revival, therefore it can't be a revival. We need to move from God. An initial first outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So when God restores something, it's to do it again. To revive, to restore. And often the enemy comes to break something. He's a, he is a vandal. He wants to spoil stuff. He wants to lie. He wants to destroy. He wants to kill. John 10 says, verse 10 says, the only purpose the devil has is to steal, kill, and destroy. It's interesting, it's steal first. Because he can't kill or destroy that which he hasn't stolen. And we can stop him from stealing our stuff. We can stop him from stealing our time and our emotions. But we've got to be aware of the enemy's devices. Amen. So the prodigal son needed restoration, and he needed to cooperate with his father. And this is what happened. The prodigal son was spoiled because of sin. Everyone say sin. He was spoiled because of sin. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted to do things his way. He basically said to to his dad, Dad, I just wish you were dead. You're as good as dead to me. Give me what is mine and give it to me now. And his father did. 
the prodigal son couldn't blame God. He couldn't blame the church, the family, the government. We always find ways of blaming, don't we? But in this particular case, the prodigal son, his issue was his own sin. What spoiled him was his own sin. And how did, how did he get restored? Here's the word, repentance. It was because of his own sin, that's how he got there. How did he get out of it? He repented. Everyone say repented. Repent just means to change your mind. It means to turn away. It's a 180 degree turn, not 360. Someone said, oh, I just did a 360 turn. I'm just right with God. I was like, whoa, 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 stop halfway. It's a, hundred, it's a turning away from what you were doing and turning towards God. And that's what the prodigal, set, the prodigal son, that's what happened to him. He was in a pigsty and it's the Bible says he came to the end of himself. You know, it's much better to come home or not even leave home is the best thing in the first place. Than to, than, to, to, than, to cut, than have to come to the end of yourself. Because it's a long walk home. You ever found people, or maybe it's your own life, you just walked away, and you've done things your own way, you've wanted it to do it your way, you've said, give me what is mine now, and you end up doing what you wanted to do, and in the end, you come to the end of yourself, and you think, that was a waste of time, so you have to turn, that's what repentance is, and go back home. What a waste of time. Much better to say, no, I'm going to stay with the plan. I'm going to stay in the house. I'm going to stay a loving God. I'm going to choose to, spit, to, to set my face like flint. And through faith and patience, I'm going to wait for the promises of God. But he repented. The second was Job. And he was spoiled because of an enemy. So, the prodigal was spoiled because of his own sin. And the key to his restoration was repentance. The second was Job who was spoiled because of an enemy. I'll say that again. This Job was spoiled because of an enemy. His life was spoiled because of an enemy. And so often we try and figure out all the reasons why. You may have heard it taught. I've heard it taught. But it's because Job let fear into his life. Because this happened. Because that happened. But the Bible says, Though you incited him against me without, without any reason. There was no reason. Now again, this is an Old Testament, these are, this is an Old Testament story. But it's fascinating. But I believe the whole key to the story of Job is, Can a man, can a woman worship God because he is God, no matter what he allows into his life. Because at this, at the end of the, end of the, the, the tests, he says, I've lost my family. I've lost my business. I've lost my children. I've lost my animals. I've lost everything. And at this, Job fell on the ground. And he worshipped God. <laughs> the key to Job's restoration was he worshipped God. The key to the prodigal son's restoration was he repented. The key to Job's restoration is 
he worshipped God. Worship is extravagant respect and devotion that is unrestrained by reason. See, we praise God for what he's done, but we worship him for who he is. Job fell on the ground and he worshipped God. Let me ask you, when you're going through a tough time in life, when you're going through a season of darkness, have you learned to worship God? A man named Chuck Swindle says this, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is a quiet confidence that God is in control without the need to know why he does what he does. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is a quiet confidence. I love that. A quiet confidence that God is in control without the need to know why he does what he does. A man named Charles Simpson, who many of you may know, he was one of the Fort Lauderdale Five, one of the prophets in the 70s. He came actually here to the church here and preached and did a conference for us. And I was sitting with him in Applebee's and I asked him to speak into my life. I said, I'm a young pastor, still am. What should I, what would you, what could you say to me? And he said this, he looked me deep in the eye and he said, there's been times in my life, son, where God has anointed me to do the wrong thing and say the wrong thing in order for me to see the end of my own idea. (laughs) I'll let you think about that one. That's pretty deep. Job is key to his restoration was he worshipped God and in the end he got double for his trouble. Church, can I encourage you to learn. As Matthew chapter 11 in the message says, learn the unforced rhythms of his grace. And one of the, uh, the ways of learning how to put his yoke upon you because his yoke is easy and his burden is light is to cultivate a lifestyle of worship. Now we know that worship doesn't equal music, but cultivate a lifestyle of worship. And the third person was the man with the withered hand. I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to turn there, but it's in Mark chapter 3. And the man with the withered hands had a hand that was damaged. And the Bible doesn't tell us why. So I've written this one that he was spoiled through circumstance. Everyone say circumstance. Circumstance, circle, circle, circumstance. That which goes on around you. Something in life caused this hand to be withered. You can read the story for yourself. But sometimes circumstance causes us to go through bad bad times, hard times, confusing times that leave us damaged, that leave us limping, that leave us disabled in some way and how did he get restored he got restored through faith everyone say faith you can read it but Jesus says I want you to stand up in front of everybody and as he responded in faith his hand was restored and his hand was healed he could have been born with that he could have had an accident it could have been a disease something that happened in his life circumstantial. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says this. I love this. He says, be joyful always. And so we find it easy to be joyful always. I'm going to pray for you in a minute because 
Watch this. In fact, I might even just turn there just so you can see I'm not making it up. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 5. I got it. First Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always, verse 16. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecy with contempt. But test everything. Hold on to that which is good. And avoid every kind of evil. Give thanks in all circumstances. Watch this. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. Well, I've just been praying for the will of God, brother. I just, just don't know what the will of God is. Here's the answer. Give thanks in all circumstances and be joyful always. One of the words for joy is the word in the Greek is calm delight. That's why when James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. It's not talking about, yes, I'm just going to jump up and down. This is awesome. Look what's happened to my life. It's terrible, but I'm just going to celebrate. No, it's, not. it's a calm delight. It's saying, all is well with my soul. Paul says this in, in Acts, he's in, I think it's Acts 20. He says, and I know that this awaits me, that prison awaits me, hardship awaits me. And then he says this in King James, but none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. But none of these things move me. I'm going to end in just a minute, but church, I believe that God wants the church that is here to display his splendor, the church that as we come to perfection, the church that with the Holy Spirit together in one accord are going to say, come Lord Jesus, and the sky is going to open up, the trumpet is going to sound, and the King of glory is going to come and collect his bride that has made herself ready, that we have to go through the dark times of life because God is perfecting something in in us not just pampering he is developing not always just delivering because he is committed to Christ being fully formed in us amen, amen. the hand of God is with us I'm going to end with this because I keep saying I'm going to end uh, loads more things I could say but in second Samuel I, years ago I think I, I, I preached on this um, and it's just come back really fresh to me. In Second Samuel, there's a man who was with David, and his name was Eleazar. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> oh yeah. And these were the mighty men. And next to him, in verse nine, was Eleazar, son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty men, he was with. David, as they taunted the Philistines, as they gathered at Pas Damim. Everyone say Pas Damim. Pas Damim for battle. Then the men of Israel retreated. But he stood his ground and struck down the Philistines until his hand grew tired and froze to his sword. Okay, let me tell you. Eleazar was one of the mighty men. Now you listen to me. I'm nearly done. I've got five minutes. Eleazar was one of the mighty men. Okay? This man knew how to fight. This man was a man of conviction. Now, Pas Damim, the reason that's important is because Pas Damim was the place where 
Goliath was slain. Eleazar was one of the mighty men, and he was stood with David. And he was stood with David at that time, and he would not let go of his sword. His hand was frozen to his sword. Really important, remember that. Now, if you jump forward, this is what I find so amazing. That these were the chiefs of David's mighty men. For next to him was Eleazar. Here it is again in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Son of Dodai the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men. For he was with David at Pasdamim with the Philistines where they gathered for battle. So time has gone on. This is way after Goliath. And here, Eleazar pops up again. This time there's no record of David being with him. But it says he was with David at Pastamim when the Philistines gathered around for battle. At that time, there was a place and a field full of barley. And the troops fled from the Philistines, but they took their stand in the middle of a lentil field and Eleazar defended it and struck down the Philistines. What's my point? Is Eleazar was stood in a place where he'd previously seen a giant slain. Eleazar was stood in Pasdamim, the very place where a giant came down. And for that reason, he said, I'm not going to let go of my sword. Why? Because I've seen a giant fall before. Why? Because I've seen God move before. Why? Because I've seen miracles happen before. And for that reason, I'm not going to let go of my sword. I'm going to hold on to this sword until my hand freezes to it. And I'm not letting go. If I start swinging this thing, the bolt might come undone. So I'm really holding it tight. I don't want to kill somebody in Life Church to be on the front page of the paper tomorrow. But church, I want to encourage you in closing today to go back and remember the things that you've seen God do. I want you to go back and see the miracles that God has done. Remind yourself. The Bible, the word remember, it comes right through. Remember, remember, remember. Paul says to Timothy, remember to fan into flame the gifts of God that is with you, within you. Remember, it's not just the words, but just the words stay there. But remember to fan them into flame. I lit a fire in our house early this morning and I was blowing on it until the logs caught fire. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember to blow on, on, on the words that God has said so they catch fire again. But don't let go of your sword, church. Even for a lentil field. It's just a field of barley. But later on, Eliezer was like, nah, I'm not giving up a field of barley. No. And it says he took his stand and he stood his ground in the middle of the barley field. Why? Because I've seen God move here before. I saw Goliath's head come off. I saw him tumble to the ground. I was here on this ground when this happened. I'm not going to let go of my sword. Some of you are struggling in your health. Don't let go of your sword. Through faith and patience, wait. It could be in your, in, your, in, in your health. It could be in your relationship. It could be in your job. It could be in your finances. It could be in your soulless realm. It could be in the physical realm. It could be in the spirit realm. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. Whatever it is, say, God, I'm going to hold on to my sword today. 
even for a little thing, even for a field of barley, I'm not going to let go. Why? Because I've seen your, your faithful promises. I've seen you come through. I'm not going to turn back. I'm not going to turn bitter. I'm not going to turn away. But I, like David, I'm going to turn to you. Amen. Let's stand together. Just lift out your hands, will you? In fact, could you put one hand on your head and one hand on your heart? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Speak to your spirit, man. Say this. Say, the mind controlled by my spirit is life and peace. Say, Spirit, come alive. Spirit, enlarge. Spirit, you're going to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. If you do, just speak in tongues right where you are. Just gently speak in tongues. If you, if you don't speak in tongues, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> just keep speaking in tongues. If you don't and you want to, just say, Jesus, please give me the gift of speaking in tongues. See, and I want you to practice this, church. Keep going. Just keep going. Practice this. When your mind is unfruitful, your spirit prays. When you don't know what to pray, pray in the spirit. When you don't know what to think, pray in the spirit. When you're thinking too much, pray in the spirit. And then the Bible says you'll then start to pray with understanding. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep going, church. Just keep going. <laughs> Just worship it in the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you're the God of miracles. We, are the, we thank you that the, you're the God where all your promises are yes, 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 and amen. And I ask that this spiritual atmosphere in this house would just grow and bubble like an axe that this, your suddenlies would come when we're at the same temperature. The Holy Spirit, I ask that for each one of us in this room, including myself, the Holy Spirit, that we would, that you would, you would build up our inner man. That as we pray in the spirit, that our inner man would be strengthened. That our spirit man would be enlarged. That our mind would be controlled by our spirit and not the other way around. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room. And I thank you, God, that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what we're going through. You know what we need before you ask for it. Before we ask you for it, God, you already know. God, I just pray that you would find in us the people that go through, that we don't stop going through the tough times of life. And God, I thank you that as we go through them, that you are causing us to become a source of life. You are causing stuff to get perfected in us. You're causing things to get shaped in us. For that, God, we just say thank you so much. Thank you so much,
praise your name, Lord Jesus. here today and you can relate to the prodigal the prodigal son and the key was simply this he repented he turned around and went home some of you maybe you can relate to Job and his key was worship worship in spirit worship in truth Praise him out of the prison. If you're here today and you know something's been spoiled, something's been taken away by an enemy, you know it's an enemy. Circumstance of life. circumstance of life like the man with the withered hand I just want to encourage you today allow faith to rise up inside of you allow, allow a fresh faith and a fresh patience to say here I come I'm not going to allow the bri- my bridge to get blown up by the devil it's going to take me through troubled waters going to close the meeting and church have an amazing week may the Holy Ghost provoke you deeply go and give somebody a hug love on someone encourage someone encourage you when you're feeling discouraged another thing you can do is encourage someone Proverbs 11.25 says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed Text somebody this week. Encourage them. Send someone a card. Take them out for coffee. I just want to encourage you. I just want to bless you. You know what will happen? You yourself will get blessed. May not be by from them, but the Lord will bless you. Because it's a principle of the Spirit. Whatever we sow, we reap. Amen. We just applaud the Lord for His goodness one more time.